And welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a bi-weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name's Bill Templeman. Uh, this is our first show of the summer season. We'll be on air every second Thursday evening from 7 to 8 between now and August 15th. Uh, joining me tonight in the studio is our guest panel on student and youth politics. We have Zach Hatton, who's former city council candidate in last year's municipal election and a current Trent student and a liberal supporter. We have Brett Porter, who is a Green supporter and a Ryerson student. And we have Brianne Menchin, who's a Conservative Party member. Welcome all, and thank you for coming out on a rainy, rainy night. Before we start unpacking all the complexities that are bundled within the complex issue of student youth politics in Peterborough, I need to acknowledge that listeners of my approximate vintage, which is to say graduated from college in the 60s or 70s, you know, dinosaur vintage, should acknowledge that for today's students, these are radically different times. Back in the days of your government subsidized post-secondary education far more than they do today, Almost no one graduated with huge debts in my day. Oh, when I finished, I owed $1,500 to OSAP. I was totally gripped, paid it off in, in something like seven or eight months. But today's graduates can owe up to forty k. Is that right? There's, there's some nodding around the table, so I'll take that. Today, and please correct me here, my sense is for most students of the last two decades. How's that for generalization? If I can indulge in a bit of uninvited profiling, student culture has been dominated by career and financial issues. There just hasn't been enough oxygen in the room to support robust student activity around politics, issue-based, or electoral. At least that's what I sense. However, times are changing, so let's see what happens. What? So what's going on now, either on an issues level or about party politics or campus politics and elections. What's the current level of interest in... Okay. Hi. This is Zach. <laughs> um, so right now I'm sensing a lot of... There's a lot of students who are speaking up about certain issues they believe in. Um, so there's definitely a lot of issues that they're concerned about on campus and they're voicing them through clubs, word of mouth, uh, and there was even a student walkout at Trent about the education. But I'm sensing that that doesn't correlate to more youth voting, and it's not more door knockers and various things for campaigns. In my city council campaign, I think it was single digits, if not in the hundreds, uh, like the 100s of students who voted at the Trent voting booth on election day. So, and that can be attributed to a few things. It, it doesn't relate municipally, but there's a sense of no leader is a good leader right now. Um, a few people who are thinking that and people who sometimes relate more to the conservatives and sometimes more to the liberals so there's not really a party that speaks to them quite yet so for me it's a lot more they know what they want to see but they don't know what party will give it to them and they're not ready to door knock yet Brent, uh, I also think it's worth mentioning that uh, students are sort of getting involved in what I see as like uh, the wrong uh, sorts of things. So there's a lot of slacktivism going on. My as, mother uh, said that. <laughs> as Zach had mentioned, <laughs> a lot of students are feeling uh, really anxious a lot about a lot of these issues, uh, but that's not really translating into them involving themselves in the political process. Uh, it's sort of just they're sharing a lot of things on social media and they're getting involved in ways that aren't really translating into seeing the results they'd want to see. So I think it's important that uh, people recognize, especially young people, that if they're sharing things and if they're trying to make a real difference, uh, the best thing they can do is actually go out and vote and encourage other people to vote and get involved directly in the political process if they want to see the change that they want. So social media is sort of a, a pressure valve. People 
get involved in social media and they say, well, I've done my thing? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly okay. it. And uh, I focus primarily on environmental issues. However, that's like the most common one. People will share all sorts of posts uh, encouraging environmental initiatives, but then they don't actually follow through on those initiatives. Or they share things like the Friday for Futures uh, climate change rallies to talk about the inaction of our government on climate change, but then they don't actually attend the rallies themselves. So the turnout <laughs> ends up being a lot smaller right. than the people that uh, than the amount of people that say they'd like to go. And it's really important that the people actually end up going out and doing the things they want to do if they want to see the change. Great. Brian. I think that that's really true when it comes to um, yeah. social media use and talking about politics on social media. And a big problem with that is that a lot of people take to fake news more than they take to real news. And that tends to be a big problem. I'm a little biased in the sense of political activism at campus and i'm a trent student as well mm-hmm. um, because i am in the politics like that's my major so all of my friends they love politics mm. but you go and you talk about for example the snc level it's all over the news but no one knows anything about it mm. they know about the cuts to education on the provincial level because that affects them directly but if they are finding for example youth are finding that it's not directly affecting them they're not getting involved Right, right. Now, question, uh, and forgive me for hearkening back to the uh, the dinosaur era, but back in the day, I can recall as an undergraduate, we saw he, she's left wing, he's right wing, center. We used this left-right continuum, the spectrum. Uh, so, I mean, is that still valid? And are the old labels still valid of Marxist, communist, socialist, liberal, capitalist, libertarian? Or is that yesterday's language? I think they're definitely still valid to a certain degree, but I also think it's important that uh, we don't use the labels as a way of dividing people uh, simply because one person identifies as conservative and another person identifies as a liberal uh, shouldn't mean that it automatically turns into uh, a partisan war, really. Uh, it's important to recognize that we all are trying to achieve uh, goals to the same issues. And, yeah. and so while the labels can be helpful, they should really only be used as like a very general sense of where you uh, stand on the spectrum. They shouldn't really be used as uh, like definitive uh, um, uh, explanations of your political beliefs, really. Brian. I think it's fair to say that no one fits perfectly into the mold of what is stereotypically seen as a certain label. For example, I would consider myself a conservative, but I'm more of a red Tory because there's there's a difference between someone who's very radically right wing and someone who is more of a progressive view on certain politics and certain things that are going on in our government right now. And so I find myself in between two different party lines and there's no real place for me and I know that for a lot of the people that I speak to about this, my friends and a lot of other youth, they don't want to vote or they don't want to associate with a specific party because they don't think that they believe in absolutely everything and so it's very clear that those labels are no longer representing people as they once did as people have such split ideas of what they believe in. uh, if I may, could could I just scratch at that particular itch a bit more about the students not voting? I mean, here we have, like, the, the top uh, end, certainly in terms of uh, academic functioning of a generation, and they're not playing the game. <laughs> and for older political buffs, they're saying, well, what has to change? How either can the current game be changed to make voting more attractive or... Do we have to have a restructuring of how people are involved? Please. I would say we definitely need a restructuring because the feeling for me personally and being in Peterborough, a student in Peterborough, my mm. voting writing has just changed from Oshawa to Peterborough. Well, in Oshawa, I got to know my MP and I felt as though he seriously did represent my views and represent me as a member of Oshawa. I'm now struggling between the two candidates that I've heard of, Mike Skinner and Miriam Monsef, neither of which I feel are doing anything for me. And so now I'm sitting between, well, what do I do? do so I- are you going to vote in Peterborough this fall? Yeah, the, because my address right. has officially changed to Peterborough. And so gotcha. this is my writing. But I think a lot of other youth go fr- through the exact same thing where you might see a name associated to a party in your area but what are they really doing for you what's the point in getting out to vote i think is the problem and Mm. so we really need to revamp the system to make everyone's views 
seem valid. It's not 40% of the population are under that votes and they get a majority. That's the problem because what's my one vote going to do is what I see the youth saying. Right. If I can ask, how much did were you indoctrinated with, educated about, in terms of politics, uh, when you were in high school? I mean, did they talk about the system and how it works? Yeah, Brett. Uh, so I took uh, civics and careers, uh, so half a semester uh, per uh, course in grade 10. And uh, the civics class basically uh, entirely focused on uh, where people sat in government, uh, and it really didn't cover the basics of government or the issues or really anything that has to do with uh, uh, politics or the or kind power, of issues, right? yeah, like or the yeah. kind of issues that people would actually right. uh, care about and want to get involved when sure. in in rather. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why politics sort of has this. Um, reputation of being a boring topic, even though it's the <laughs> farthest thing from that. It's incredibly exciting, yeah. but people don't recognize it because uh, their first introduction uh, in my circumstance was being taught where people are sitting in the government, not necessarily exploring the issues that are relevant to them or exploring any of the, the things that government actually does for them. Right. Zach, you were going to say something. Um, yeah, so at my high school, it was the same curriculum that Brett had. Um, my, I did have a really good teacher, Bernadette Peters, um, who really tried to get people to get more involved. Uh, there was a lot of candidate meetings, uh, during every election. They always, when she was there, had a debate or, I even went in uh, one time to talk to her civics class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so teachers are trying to take it on themselves, I think. Right. Uh, but to my knowledge, nobody's taken that over at St. Peter's now that Bernadette has retired. Right. Uh, so it's really on the teachers because the curriculum in Ontario isn't geared to educate them any more about politics than this is exactly what the government is there's a prime minister there's a premier it doesn't get in enough to what actually has to happen to win an election right yeah i think on that note as well we have opportunities in university to take political courses but after you're done your civics and your careers class for me specifically, my high school didn't offer any other courses to do with politics. And I know that's different for a lot of youth. But in my circumstance, Oshawa is not a small city and I didn't go to a very small school. And if my school can completely cut politics out of their curriculum other than a half a semester class that was completely useless... You're, you're getting this sense of, well, politics is for adults. I don't need to worry about it until I pay bills. I don't need to worry about it until this and this and this. Right. When realistically, like the other two panelists were saying, it's something that you need to actually talk about. Again, this is what is affecting you in politics, and that's how you're going to get the youth reaction. Right. I can say that uh, with my own experience, uh, I was really turned off of politics after my uh, civics class because, as you said, (laughs) it was basically completely useless. It made me think that politics was incredibly boring, and I really just was not interested. Now, I was fortunate enough in grade 12 to have selected a class, World Issues, with uh, a fabulous teacher, uh, Pat- Patricia Best, uh, and she was great, and she got me really into politics, but as Zach was talking about, it's sort of up to teachers that are taking it upon themselves to get students interested, and I always used to go up and talk to her, pick her brain, because I wanted to know these things, because I am really interested, but it took me uh, actually taking this class, which was simply by chance, to realize that I really liked it, simply because the the civics curriculum failed. Yeah. Now, with the tight job market for youth today, uh, my sense is students don't have the luxury to be these sort of cavalier existentialists that uh, surely my crowd was like back in the 60s. In other words, taking a bit of this, a bit of that. Yeah, maybe I'll work this summer. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll go hitchhiking. You know, um, are both, I guess what I'm getting at is are, are politics more of a boutique interest on campus these days? In other words, there are the political heads. And then there's the students who are into athletics, the students who are into the academics, the students who are into business. Is that happening? Yeah. 
I'd say that's extremely accurate. Oh, really? Other than the walkout to do with Doug Ford's education cuts, I don't think that many people have any interest in politics at all, unless that's exactly the group that you fit into. So I try to make myself as known across many different varieties of students. So people who are into sports, people who are into the environment, people who are into politics, like federally, provincially. But it seems as though, especially at Trent, which is obviously very relevant to this radio show, it's very much so an elite group that feels as though they can control the interest in politics. So for example, like we have a conservative group on campus called the Trent Tories and they didn't let me in because I wasn't conservative enough. So, and I'm not trying to call anybody out on their choices. That's absolutely okay if that's how you feel. But for me personally, I'm so interested in politics and I was still put out. So for someone who is just interested in maybe knowing how do I vote or how do I look up this information, they don't get given the opportunity because if you're not already on this level of interest in politics coming into university, it seems like your opinion's more so dismissed. Zach. Yeah, so um, that's obviously not right on any level, but getting back to your uh, question surrounding jobs um, and students having to have them, I think that also is a major hindering of um, politics and getting involved in political campaigns because we do pretty much all need to hold at least some form of a part-time job and with campaigns unable to be a source of funding uh, for anybody except maybe a campaign manager and a few staff. It's sometimes for people who are on the edge of should I get involved or not, it's almost undoable for them because they have to go to their part-time job. And when you're on the edge like that... uh, if you can't directly get involved, you lose some people for decades because they they don't have time now. They don't have time to look into the parties because that's another big thing is hmm. where do I fit on the spectrum? I know that politics is something that I'm interested in, but where do I fit? So the costs of education now and the need to have a part-time job is a major hindrance, I think, in politics. Now, Zach, did I hear you correctly? You said that most students have part-time jobs? Most. Wow. See, that's such a change. I mean, 50 years ago, I was an undergraduate. No one worked. I mean, we all had summer jobs. Most people had summer jobs in construction because that was really easy. But jobs during the school year? Yeah. Really uh, different. Right. Not only do a lot of students uh, have to take up part-time jobs, and a lot of the time they're working between 20 and 30 hours, like really high, uh, just way too much work on top of their school load, but a lot of students also have to do like volunteer work to get their foot in the door with specific industries. Uh, I myself have uh, been volunteering pretty consistently with uh, the Green Party and different political parties as well, any candidate that I felt represented my values. And part of that is because I, I recognize that uh, I really need to set myself apart. And I mean, I just I there aren't that many ways to do it anymore. Like you need right. to have a job to afford school. I need schooling to get into this industry. But I also am in an incredibly competitive job market. And yes. volunteering means that I have almost no time. And then you run into the problem of burnout on uh, campus. And I very much experienced this uh, this last year. I was incredibly exhausted by by the end of second semester, simply because I was volunteering, uh, I was working uh, roughly 24 hours a week on top of taking a full course load. And it sucked. It was awful. It was way too much. And I wasn't able to do some of the fun things uh, that I should have been doing for my first year at university. Right. Now, what about the the so-called the issues like how is populism the ride the rise of the hard right playing out on campus what about feminism gender identity in the 60s i mean liberals conservatives and NDPers would debate and heckle each other but what's happening now with the rise of these issues are brian 
I think the problem right now with the rise of the far right is it's not necessarily sharing an opinion as much as it is attacking a group of people. And so for me personally, I identify as conservative and a lot of people have the ideology that if you're conservative, you're racist or you're sexist. That is absolutely not the case. And for people who are on the far right who share these values like a white supremacist or anything like this, it creates a very hostile environment between, let's say, a conservative and a liberal. You want to have a civil conversation, a difference of opinions, or find out why a certain side feels a certain way about an opinion. But it's met with such a hateful front that you're not able to have those conversations that is what's meant to happen in a democracy. You're supposed to be able to have all different viewpoints come together to be a government. And even at this level, for example, on campus, you can't put forward your political view without having a stereotype attached to it. Right. And of course, both sides, well, all sides play this, this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to what extent is that exacerbated by social media? I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of the municipal election in Toronto that uh, we just endured, where Faith Goldie ran and people, no, I'm not a fan, <laughs> but uh, some of the stuff that was thrown at her, she's a Nazi. Well, sorry, most of the Nazis are dead. <laughs> You know, uh, yes, she's hard right. Yes, her views are extreme. Yes, she's worried about the decline of uh, whites in the GTA. And I, I, I mean, that sounds quite appalling to me. I don't get it. But the labels she got were, were quite intense. And there certainly wasn't dialogue. Yes, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, uh, I too am not the biggest fan of Faith Goldie and <laughs> found her uh, Toronto mayor's race campaign where she finished third to be quite i don't know what the word is confusing maybe i mean it was a distant third like it was between three and a half percent yeah twenty five thousand votes um so it was really between miss keysmat and And mr tory but uh for her to finish third definitely gave some eyebrow raising but you're right in the sense that for labels to be attached to someone when it's obviously very far from it. A white supremacist is not a Nazi. They're different people. Issue white supremacist, yes. She self-identifies to be a white supremacist. Um, Actually, she call, she dances on the head of several very small pins. She calls herself a, a white self-interest or white nationalist. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you split those hairs yeah. and tell me what you get. Yeah. Um, so, but for the nicknames, I think that's very uncalled for. Um, and frankly, although I don't support their views, I don't necessarily agree with Facebook banning them either. Uh, that's a big thing that just happened in the news. Um, I believe that although Miss Goldie and I don't share very many views, if any, uh, that are similar, I think everybody needs to have a platform and I can decide whether or not I like that page. Or Social media is a platform for people to get news out and people are saying she was too radical and that she was spreading fake news. Well, I think... Every political party spins things to make it fake news in some way. So, although I don't agree with Miss Goldie, I don't agree with the labels that she's been put under. I'm just using Faith Goldie as an example. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. There's many sure. uh, people who are experiencing these stereotypes, but we can agree to disagree without putting unnecessary labels on people. Right. Now, a few days ago, there was uh, something of a surprise upset in the by-election in Nanaimo, the federal by-election in Nanaimo, B.C. Uh, the Green candidate defeated the second-place Conservative. The Liberal candidate finished a distant fourth. Are these results a harbinger of things to come? And I guess more importantly for our conversation, are students paying attention? Are people interested? I mean, people, your, your age cohorts, are, are they... 
I absolutely do think that the by-election in Nanaimo Ladysmith uh, is going to show a little bit of what is to come. Uh, now, I am speaking uh, as a Green supporter, but I can right, say right. that obviously uh, the environment is increasingly um, a really, really prevalent issue, and especially the younger generations uh, really care about fighting climate change, as well as a ve- uh, various other environmental initiatives uh, like the plastics uh, problem in our right. oceans right. and the fact that there's just so much waste in our environment mm-hmm. it, and young people do care about these issues and obviously that is a signature part of the Green Party's platform uh, however uh, people as we've already discussed there are a lot of people that don't really see a political party as representing themselves and the Green Party is a nice mixed bag of uh, some centrist economic policy, uh, progressive social policy, and environmental policy. And I definitely think that in the upcoming federal election, the Greens are going to uh, pick up some more seats. As we've already seen, they've done very well forming the opposition in PEI. They hold the balance of power in British Columbia, mm-hmm. New Brunswick. There's now three Greens, and we even have Mike Schreiner here in uh, Ontario. So I definitely think that the Greens are on the rise, partly because of environmental issues, but also because people are increasingly uh, turned off from the status quo parties and their inability to uh, govern successfully. I also think a lot of it is showing what's going to happen in the upcoming federal election, um, half based on leaders of the parties. For example, I'm not a big fan of the leader of the New Democrat Party, Jagmeet Singh, I'm not a big fan of Justin Trudeau as of right now. Andrew Scheer, to me, looks like the best choice. But Elizabeth May is a very respected leader as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that in that specific by-election, a lot was put on the back of what's going to happen in this upcoming federal election. Mm -hmm. So people looked towards the leader more than they looked towards the candidate. And I, I think that it's very clear that even it's showing in polling numbers that the Green Party could absolutely be the third standing party after this coming federal election. And that's just one more seat that is proving that to be uh, quite the possibility. Yeah, I was uh, reading the same article I think Brianne read and that the Greens are only six points behind the NDP right now uh, as a national standing. I think the green victory is substantial, but looking at all of the other numbers in Nanaimo Ladysmith is very, very much a sign of what's coming. Uh, the New Democrats had a chief, uh, First Nations chief running for them, and nothing seemed out of the ordinary until a week before. And so Elizabeth May took that advantage to stepping in and now there's it seems as though there's a potential that both um member of parliament wilson raybould and philpot could be joining the greens as well i read on cbc today really yes uh their their decision is expected by june but looking at the other numbers of nanaimo nanaimo ladysmith uh the conservatives finishing second increasing their number from 2015 and the new democrats falling and the liberals falling major they were 23 and a half i believe in 2015 and 11 this time so it it shows what could be happening for sure people are kind of starting to get a little fed up with both the new democrat leader and the liberal leader and even Andrew Scheer, but people are saying, where else do I go? Um, so the the winning party and the Green Party is definitely telling, but looking at the other numbers and the People's Party, I think we've shown in these by-elections, they're not, they're not gaining much ground. So that's another yeah. thing I'm taking out of Nanaimo Ladysmith. Um, it's also only a 40% voter turnout down from 75. Nanaimo, right. Ladysmith is a very good riding at turning out in general elections. So I'll be interested to see if Paul Manley keeps that seat or if it goes back to the New Democrats or the Conservatives or the Liberals gain right. it. Uh, but voter turnout is definitely a big thing, but the numbers definitely tell where people's heads are at going into October. And of course, all those NIMO voters, including the ones who didn't vote, know they're going to be back at the polls in six months. Yeah. <laughs> Brent, you had something. I was just going to mention the fact that 
the Liberal Party never really had much of a chance because as anyone who knows a little bit about the history of that riding, it was a stronghold conservative riding joining with a New Democrat stronghold uh, riding. And so... I think that the most telling part of this is not necessarily the voter turnout, but the fact that what was once seen as a New Democrat stronghold has now put the New Democrats at a third place standing in a by-election, which is very, very telling for how that party's doing so far in this campaign, I guess you could say, for the upcoming federal election. Back to this issue we're, we're, we're poking at here. What about student voting rates? They've traditionally been low for all levels of government, particularly, uh, well, municipal, but federal and provincial as well. What would have to happen in order for more students to vote? Now, I know there's a lot of international students at Trent, um, but for, let's say, domestic students, what would have to happen in order to get more of those people to vote? Priya? I think, as I said before, there's a definite need for something to be put in a platform directed at youth. And I think that's very clear. Although I don't feel that it was the right direction to take to appeal to youth with what the liberals did with the legalization of marijuana in the last federal election, that was a big reason for youth voter turnout. And although that's not something that I necessarily think would have been a good way to do that, it did prove to get more voters out. And so right. I think even if it isn't happening at the platform level with the party leaders stressing for the youth to come out to vote, if a specific MP or a potential MP really wants youth voting, they need to get out and they need to talk to the youth face to face because social media just isn't doing it anymore. Right. There's so much of a stronghold on the use of social media that people think it's the easy way to get to youth, and it's just not working. Of course, my, my comfortable judgment from Anglophone Ontario doesn't fly when we think of what went on in Quebec just two years ago, the student strikes. I mean, they were massive. Well, French Canada is a whole different ballgame from uh, what we experience. Zach? Yeah, so I was just going to touch on the Liberals. When they took power, I thought it was very telling when the Prime Minister accepted the ministry on himself to be Minister of Youth. And right. we've seen Liberal MPs across the country form youth councils, and I served on Marian Monsef's youth council. Right. The... Um, issue is that I wish that those youth councils did more. I wish that Prime Minister Trudeau did more as Minister of Youth. And that might be coming uh, if he gets a second mandate. But in, um, in the platform in the fall, I think if any of the parties really want to pick up the youth support, because I think the Trudeau good looks factor that was kind of prevalent in 2015 that's kind of worn off on a lot of people so i think hard policy platform ideas need to be put in to all the parties if they want to pick up the youth support that trudeau could get back but it's like you need he needs it to he needs to put something in there to make them come back and sheer can pick that up may can pick that up sing can pick that up it's just they need to put something in if they want the youth to come. Right. So I definitely liked the initial approach that uh, Trudeau took, uh, you, like having the youth councils. But what I found was that uh, he simply was just not listening to them. Uh, a great <laughs> example of that um, is the council came out uh, strongly against uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. And that was something that he just blatantly ignored his youth council on, even though uh, the issue that stems from uh, the opposition is uh, climate change. That's primarily why the youth were uh, in opposition to that pipeline expansion. And that was something that he basically just turned around and it completely ignored his youth council. And so it's one thing if you actually want to create a youth council, but it's another thing to actually listen to it. And uh, that's something that we haven't seen with Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. Okay. I would absolutely agree with that. I think that a big part of our problem with 
the youth is that there's been so many reach out during a campaign for an election saying, we're going to do this for the youth. We want a youth council, for example. But the three and a half years following, there's nothing done to support that. And the parties come out like they do with a lot of other issues and say, I'm going to do it next time. Elect me next time. I think that what I hear from people in the youth is that they're sick of hearing next time. They want to be listened to right now. Okay. I was wondering, we've talked around this issue or mentioned this issue just a few times, but how has social me- media influenced political life for students? I mean, back in back in the day, uh, back in the 60s, certainly we watched TV news and occasionally read magazines and newspapers, but some stories didn't get to us right away. But today's students, you have so much more immediate access to everything that's going on, be it uh, locally or globally. How's that playing out? Uh, I think that uh, the increased access to information is really important, but access without interest doesn't really achieve anything. And so uh, because there's still a significant lack of interest in politics, uh, and we addressed a few of the underlying reasons for that, I think that having uh, the expansive access because of the Internet doesn't really do anything. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that a big problem with social media as well is the fact that there's such a a large basis of news being let out about politics in the United States rather than Canadian politics. And so when you search something that's happened recently in the news, the first thing that comes up is Donald Trump, not Prime Minister Trudeau, for example. And so we have a lot of problems with people tying parties to parties in the United States. Like, of course, I'm sure you saw this coming. I'm a conservative here. They think that just because I'm a conservative in Canada, I have the same views as Donald Trump. Well, that's not necessarily. And I think that has a lot to do with the way that youth use media for politics. It's so focused around the United States politics that Mm. Canadian politics kind of slips through the cracks. Yeah, sort of negative branding. Yeah. Zach? Um, I also think that kids have to... or not kids, youth have to uh, decipher between fake news and real news on social media. Uh, I try and watch the news as much as I can, like the TV news, Power and Politics with Vashi Capellos. But again, we get into the need to A, get schoolwork done, B, hold down part-time job, C, try and stay as politically involved as possible after those two things so as much as it's available it's whether or not to believe it whether it's coming from a credible source and the time that it takes to search it out i i consider myself pretty decently in the know uh or at least i try to be i watched question period today from the house but um you're a junkie yeah yeah i know i know i know (laughs) (laughs) but it is the deciphering of whether what you're reading is true, yeah. whether it's true and it has spin on it, whether it's got a spin from a party or whether it's just fake altogether. So yeah. that's another problem that social media is bringing. Right. I think as well, the rise of social media means that now because you scroll through Twitter and you saw a name of a politician, you don't have to turn on the news to know what's going on. The youth is so caught up with saying, well, I know everything. I have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and I know everything. But what's not being shown is that I think that the algorithms are pushing towards Kim Kardashian, all this (laughs) stuff, rather than pushing politics to youth, because that's what they assume is going to be their interest. And so you never see a pop-up ad for CNN or whatever. You never see a pop-up ad for a politically savvy newspaper, but you see a pop-up ad for a magazine or something that doesn't necessarily talk about politics. And Mm. so I think that with the algorithms on social media, it's affecting in the way that youth have this overall insight of I know everything when they're really not getting given the right information. You you know, Brian, when you were speaking, what popped to mind was the, to me, uh, the huge story that popped Monday morning I saw on Twitter from the BBC about this huge study that's essentially saying uh, massive levels of species extinction and crashing of biodiversity. To me, 
Why isn't that top of agenda for every political party? And yet now it's gone from the news cycle. Kim Kardashian is still there. I think the major part in that is, I believe the royal baby was also born no. on Monday. <laughs> yeah, yes, so the BBC article about species extinction got lost. I, I think that's what happened there. One, one baby, one baby. Brett, I think that uh, this is a much uh, larger issue issue than uh, oh. just um, the species extinction example being lost among uh, the baby. I mean, we've known about climate change for a long time now, and yet the media still is doing an atrocious job of covering it. They don't mention it when they're talking about extreme weather events. They don't talk about it yes. when they're talking about the heat related deaths. There were over fifty in Quebec last summer. There was mass yes. flooding in uh, downtown Toronto two years ago and a lot of that was because uh, we've cut down a lot of the the forest and the green space and now there's nowhere for the water to go so all these issues all these environmental issues uh, no one's actually addressing them in the media Uh, and so because of that people simply don't know about them and while the media doesn't necessarily tell people uh, what to think they tell them what to think about and when they're not mentioning climate change or species extinction both of which pose massive threats to our own existence i mean that's they're just simply not doing their jobs properly yeah now at the risk of getting into waters so deep that i may drown therein um what about intergenerational issues when it comes to politics for students uh, and resentment. Uh, what I'm getting at is, well, one of my profs was a World War II fighter pilot. Another was an artillery officer uh, in Italy with the British Army. Uh, we tended to listen to them to, to some extent. But what about today? Is there resentment of uh, older authority figures, maybe faculty, regarding issues like climate change, sort of like, What the hell have you done for us? You know, here you've had a good life, but look what you're leaving. I mean, is there some of that? Brian? I think it's definitely apparent, but at the same time, it's not as apparent as it should be. I I can personally say that I wish that the generations before me did better for the environment, but our generation isn't doing better either. So doesn't that make us hypocritical? Because Mm. if we're going to have resentment towards elder generations for what they've left us we need to do something to change it and yes it's it's definitely a more prevalent issue now for example 50 years ago climate change didn't exist apparently so it it was just something that wasn't talked about it it didn't it wasn't known and so i think that rather than that resentment being present people aren't giving it attention at all as brett was just saying It, it can't have this sort of resentment if you don't know why you're resenting that generation, if you don't know what mm-hmm. they have done to leave it to you. And now that we have all this information, which the generations before us really didn't have, we're still doing just as badly as they ever were. And so I think in general, I feel personally as though our generation is more so responsible for what's happening now than generations before us. It's like the, the, the smoking. A lot of people started smoking because they thought it was fine. It wasn't yeah. bad for you. Yeah. So why would you start smoking now if you know what happens? It's the same thing with climate change. Right. Brett. So I disagree with the idea that young people today aren't doing a better job on the issue of the environment. I mean, I think, for example, the Friday for Future strikes, the fact that uh, countries or uh, municipalities are now beginning to declare climate change emergencies, like in Kingston, Ottawa, uh, the, just the United Kingdom this week um, declared uh, a climate emergency. So I do think we've made some uh, significant progress on the issue. But at the same time, I agree that our generation uh, holds a lot of uh, misplaced resentment. Uh, I sort of uh, think it's as if we'd rather blame prior generations than just buck up and say, okay, we're still not doing enough. We can't just pass the blame off. Yes, prior generations have ignored environmental issues for way too long. And now we're in a really, really bad spot because of it. But at the same time, we're still moving at a snail's pace on these issues. And while the youth has begun to pick up the pace, we're still not seeing the results we need to because, as Brian said, we're not doing enough. Uh, okay. 
I want to just hit back at something that's still a bit of a mystery for me, and that has to do with, uh, which doesn't mean to say it has to be a mystery for you. Hopefully, I'll get an answer. Um, how did the hard, how do you see the hard right developing on campus? In other words, what evidence of the alt right sympathies do you see? Uh, the convenient stereotype of alienated youth of low socioeconomic status and bleak career prospects. It's really not confirmed by the profiles of alt-right leaders like Richard Spencer in the States or even commentators like Faith Goldie, both of whom have very credible degrees. In fact, Spencer is close to a PhD, uh, and they have impressive career skills. So how do we account for this apparent disconnect? Seth? Uh, about the alt-right forming on campuses, I think Brianne's example earlier was the perfect example of the Trent Tories. And oh, you're not their, Tory enough for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so... I think there are those people that are like that, but I I don't sense it forming into much. I I oh, think really? I you think numerically, uh, just numbers of people, numbers of people, and I think the majority of people being not so alt right as these individuals. I think that. They shouldn't be afraid to form their own opinions, but I don't think they're spreading them as much throughout campus because when they do, they generally get shut down because people like even Brian, who's a red Tory, doesn't believe that there's too many international students and there should be more white people on campus, you know, like, <laughs> like j just to right, go yeah. off of the Faith yeah, Goldie yeah. talk of earlier. So yeah. I think there's definitely a presence, but I don't think it's forming into what they want it to be. Okay. Yeah. I would agree. And I think it's a, it's a fine line between speaking your opinion and being hateful. There's a fine line between that, especially when you're radically to one way or the other. And, I think that because there's that fine line, often if you're, for example, very far right and you give an opinion, immediately it's taken offense and it's given back to you. So I think that Zachary's correct in saying that the numbers aren't there. I don't necessarily think that there's very many far right youth out there. Statistic wise, like percentage wise, I don't think there's very many out there because all of our governments, I would say right now, are very progressive. Right. But at the same time, and that can be disagreed, I know, but I would say they're more progressive than they used to be at the very least. And I think that, for example, if I saw someone spouting off white privilege on campus, the first thing I would do is go up and ask them what their problem is. Right. And maybe that's because I think that has crossed the line between your view and hateful. But I think that is exactly what's happening in the sense that if someone who's very far right goes to make these things like goes to share their opinion or goes to be hateful rather than share their opinion there's so many people who aren't afraid to stand up and say stop it and that's kind of and and trent's a very i would say active school in the sense that mm -hmm. if there's an injustice students take it into their own hands to try and turn that injustice into a justice okay we're at this time. We've got just a few minutes left, uh, but I'm itching to find out what you think about um, if the current federal election campaign is going to play out um, as we see right now. How is it going to play? In other words, the, the current trends continue. Of course, there's always surprises during campaigns. But how is it going to play out for students and youth? So, in other words, if only people under 30 were to vote, what would the party-by-party party seat count look like in the popular vote percentage? Uh, I think that, firstly, uh, the conservatives would probably lose uh, even more seats than they have right now. Uh, young people are not generally that conservative. So uh, now, obviously, there are lots of young conservatives out there. But I would expect to see some losses for the conservatives and some gains for the NDP and likely uh, the Greens as well. Um, for the under 30s. Uh, yes. Yes, well, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, as as we spoke about 
uh, earlier, environmental issues are really big um, on young people's minds, and uh, the NDP and Greens are seen as uh, more progressive parties, uh, and also all of the uh, issues with Trudeau's government, especially the recent SNC-Lavalin scandal, has really turned a lot of people off of the Liberal Party. So I would expect, if it was only people voting under 30, that both the Liberals and Conservatives would see losses, and the Greens and NDP would make gains. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that's somewhat true in the sense that I don't think the liberals would lose as much as I personally think they should. And <laughs> <laughs> that goes back to the fact that there's a lot of people who I say, oh, my goodness, did you see this article about Justin Trudeau and SNC Level? And they say no. So the people don't know what happened. Right. And you can't right. lose votes over something you don't know happened. Right. I, I do definitely believe that the New Democrats and Green Party would rise. And unfortunately, I believe that the Conservative Party would lose. And it's more so because, just as I said earlier, there needs to be more youth reach out in that party. And I, I would say the Conservatives do the least amount of work for youth. And that's coming from a youth conservative. It's just not there right now. And right. hopefully Andrew Shear picks up that slack. But to say in this coming federal election as of right now, I would say it would probably look somewhere along the lines of liberal, conservative, green NDP. Liberal, conservative, green NDP. Okay, Zach. Just I like this one. I, <laughs> okay. As a liberal supporter. Um <laughs> If only people under 30 were voting, I think that Trudeau would get a second mandate. I think that it wouldn't be a majority mandate that he has right now. I think that everybody voting, it's going to be a minority now. Who I think is going to win the overall, that's a little different. Uh, I think that you might see Trudeau lose enough to give sheer a minority but just people under 30 i would say that trudeau would get a second term albeit a minority uh followed by the conservatives and the ndp and greens would be really really close elizabeth may is starting to be seen as a very a leader that you can go to when you need a mother's hug (laughs) Or when you, or ageism rears its ugly head. All right. And on that note, on that note, well, thank you so much, uh, Brian, uh, Brett and Zach for coming by. Please join us in two weeks on Thursday, May 23rd at 92.7 FM on your dial. We'll be talking with public health union reps about the impact of the Ford uh, government cuts in the healthcare sector. The summer season runs to August 19th. And if you have any feedback, uh, please comment on the podcast website I just mentioned or send me a note at bill.templeman at gmail.com. So thanks for listening until May 23rd. Third, this is Bill Templeman.